Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the back bar. This is Christopher Menning. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to On The Bad Bar Podcast. Hope you're all doing well. Of course, we've just had the Asia 50 Bus Bars celebration happening last night. And I'm joined today by Arajit Bose, who is the proud person of the fourth best bar in Asia, Bartasura in Goa. Man, congratulations. How are you? Thank you so much. Excited. Yeah, couldn't, I bet. Couldn't sleep. Uh, that, was, that was interesting. Did not expect it. Did not even hope for it. But just to be there that high uh, among the brilliant bars that do exist and I have had the good fortune to travel and go to all of them and when you look at them you're like holy shit how do you match up to people like this mm-hmm. and and just the amount of talent and the kind of excellence that those bars exhibit I'm just glad we are there and we did something right to be there right? so super happy and the Bangkok crowd is awesome <laughs> yeah it's been a fun week but it's not just the fourth best bar in Asia it's also the best bar in India right now so you must be so proud of that fact Super, yeah. The team's solid. They've they've been through the grind with us. Uh, there are there are people on our team who had to do deliveries in the rain, right, just to keep the bar afloat during the magic time of the last two years. <laughs> uh, so I think it's good redemption. It's a good it's a good underdog story mm-hmm. to come out on top. So yeah, super excited. That I mean, a big shout out to Pankaj Balachandran and Donovan, uh, who are who are my mates on this trip, and they've been through the grind with us. We have had fights, been at each other's throats, uh, but then have had some amazing times to just try and run a bar that we like drinking at. And yeah, and the local population helped us through our times of misery. And okay. it's fun to be out on top. Well, let's hear about the bar because I'd love to um, to hear more about the concept. Um, tonight, we've got a guest shift at Tropic City. So- True story. Oh, what a crew. Yeah, Tropic so City. <laughs> I can't wait to try the cocktails. You told me about them earlier, mm. but... But let's hear about the bar. Let's hear about how that started, the concept behind it, the story. Sweet. I mean, a little bit of a background. I used to be in Singapore and had opportunity to drink at the best bars. And, and when it was just taken off, right, this is, this is 2013, 2014. Had the good fortune of working with uh, the people of Proof in 28 Hong Kong Street. Worked with the Bakari guys, Monkey 47, Global Brand Ambassador. Traveled a lot more across Asia from Dubai down to New Zealand. And kind of developed... Uh, my understanding of the complexities of running good cocktail bars, right? So learned from everybody. Uh, for whatever the reasons may be, I ended up in India. And I was like, cool, if I'm back, I have to be in this place, Goa. Goa is a beautiful, it's a beach town. It's always been uh, known as the city of freedom. A lot of cool things were happening. The spirit industry, the craft spirit industry was developing there. Our very close friends started making gin, uh, one of which interviews we'll do in a in, in in a bit, but there was also people like Anand, and there was this whole beer industry coming up. The craft, 
the craft segment was really popping, right? And if you wanted to meet all of these guys, the place to be was in Goa, hmm. right? And it's also a place that you can attract a lot of your friends. Like if I tell somebody in Singapore and Thailand come visit me in Delhi, that's great. But they have seen they have come they have come from major cities, but now Goa is a place that you can get the transient population in. Hmm. So I thought I'll move there. Uh, my business partner took a leap of faith, just up and packed his wife and kid and moved along with me, but. Covid happened. The first bar did not. It just fizzled out. Everything fizzled out, and I Netflix and chilled for about six months. <laughs> uh, into me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 the part of Goa that I discovered was South Goa after 19 years, because you always went to Party Central, but not where the where the locals were, right? And this is, they have still retained their whole Portuguese influence, and they are extremely proud of their local heritage and the food that's available. They make this thing called Feni. Uh, not a lot of people know about it, but we did sessions with the mezcal guys, and we're going through pictures. They're like, "Shit, that's how we make mezcal." Hmm. So th- this is, I mean, this is across the continents, right? And they're talking about four hundred year old techniques being used. So we're like, "Okay, cool. This is now. This is developing in something a little bit more interesting." So the guy who makes this fanny, his younger brother, came came to my house during COVID. Because I'd moved, there's nobody older in my house, so my house was safe. Like your COVID could not kill anybody, mm. right? That was the dangerous times. Uh, sorry, I'm being somber, but everyone, everyone was home. I have never made as many cocktails in my house as I did during that time. And and one day it was raining, and the guy used to be a race car driver, still a race car driver, drove like 45 kilometers, super excited, got a cigar. I made Manhattan, and they were like, dude, do you want to do a bar? And this is the time that we are thinking that the shit time is getting over. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah gotta do a bar. Mm. But we gotta do it on our own terms, not be not be taking in taken in on what's happening internationally or this. It has to be something that fits here, a local watering hole. Mm. Uh, so that's how uh, this South Goa bar idea came up and took us about three months to realize. Not a lot of people know that we actually inherited a place. It ran for about twenty four days and then everything shut down. Uh, so those guys kind of reached out and said, "Listen, can you take this over?" So we went right, in, okay. did our own jazz, and set up a bar. And my partners also run one of the biggest uh, liquor warehousing and wholesale unit. And it's a very cool store, right? So that kind of helps. And Goa rules and regulations are much easier. India is scary. Like you have twenty-four different formats of working there. Every state is a different country in itself. Mm. So alcohol laws are difficult to just give you perspective. If you are in Bangalore, you cannot have Angustura bitter that's been bought outside that state or outside India. You can get penalized for it. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so I strange. Mean, and you know what's stranger? You can't have an old fashioned. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I mean well, because you don't have the bitter, right? Right. Okay. Whereas yeah. Goa, you could pretty much walk into a store, pick up a bottle. As long as you're not doing wrong things, people are okay with it. So it's a very so, state-specific. They make their own rules about the the regulations. Every yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. the pivot. I mean, that's the loophole that they kept during the constitution formulation, that it's overall a dry state, but you can have separate state rules on how alcohol comes in. It's a nightmare, mm. right? So one of the things that we were also trying to do is make India easier for people, so we get better alcohol to. Uh, alcohol to use in our bars mm-hmm. but long story short all of this alcohol was available which was not available in delhi bombay bangalore uh, we were also super open to people coming in and tasting mm. right because the taxes Good. in india are high i i also have a company called lovers right lovers rum that i've done with david cordoba 
I got stuck in India, so I might as well have it here. Distributors helped us, uh, got it in, but it's it's about sixty five dollars in Singapore. It's a hundred and forty dollars in India. Cool. So even I can't afford it. Right. Right. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, so when somebody comes in and listen, can I have a lover's daiquiri? I said I'll give it to you to tasting, but mm. but why don't I why don't I give you a daiquiri with something else because it's going to show up on your bill and the next day you're going to be shouting about me like. Bose fucking pummeled a expensive drink on me, <laughs> uh, uh, but thanks to the partners Donovan Hansel, they uh, they were like, listen, use this as a showcase. Pour drinks, taste. So if you ever come in, we'll taste everything with you, right? If it's a if it's a fifty thousand rupee bottle or what doesn't matter, you come in, you've come in with your dad, you want to taste some whiskeys, we are more than open for it. So all of that kind of uh, helped us set up a bar that we like. Right, it's how you get treated in bars in Asia, mm. and that's what I noticed. Right, you look, you point at a bottle, the guy will just pop it and give it to you, and that's brilliant. It's it's something that we never did for 15 years in India, mm. right? Because of inventory, this, that, and uh, so all of that kind of uh, solidified our decision to be in South Goa, which is a little bit off kilter from uh, from where everyone likes doing bars, the touristy part. Uh, but what we noticed in South Goa was the crowd is well traveled. And if you give them even above average service, they are loyal forever, and they come in. I have not opened as many doms and eighteen hundreds and and taki and expensive tequilas like I have in the last year. Mm, okay. So so once they are once they trust you, I mean, and they I mean they sucked us in. They complete. I mean we keep saying hashtag Sogo, which is short form of South Goa. Uh, they they accepted us and we were outsiders, right? So we became part of that crew and. I mean, it's hard for me to believe, but there are guys who will come at six o'clock in the morning and drive out our staff for food, and they'll take them out for breakfast and stuff. Mm-hmm. Never happened anywhere. Wow. Okay. Right. So, so that whole part's been really, really nice to us. So, yeah, that's how South Goa happened, and uh, it's called Bar Tejoro. Tejoro is Portuguese for treasure. Okay. Right. That's how the Tre- that's how the name. Tejoro. Tejoro. Okay. Yeah. It's really Tejoro. Tough. Yeah, that pronunciation. Oh, yeah. In South Goa, you can't fuck with pronunciation, right? They will correct right. you. So you get you get whipped <laughs> yeah. if you if 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 you mispronounce anything. So you said it's a Portuguese the yeah. influence that was there. So Goa was uh, was a Portuguese colony, and mm. it, it was retained even after the English left mm. till about okay. the till about the sixties. It was Portuguese who were who were there, but they assimilated a lot more than take over, right? Okay, but eventually, good. when India got freed. Uh, I mean, there are interesting stories about it, but when 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 India was completely free, it was one of the last outposts that was still under under foreign rule. Uh, and one nineteenth March, everyone just was forced to up and leave, and then Goa got got its uh, got its freedom. We joke about it. A lot of lot of us believe we freed Goa. If you go to local Goans, they're like, "Oh, you annexed us." We were happy with the Portuguese, yeah. but yeah, they left a lot of their good culture in. I mean, okay. uh, it, it's also one of the only places where drinking is acceptable. It's part of their it's part of their culture. I mean, that's the place that you want to open a bar. Delhi, when I was growing up, it was taboo. Bombay was taboo, so you had a specific set who used to come out and drink, mostly affluent. In mm-hmm. Goa, it's part of their life. So yeah, I mean, I mean, their food culture, how they make drinks, everything's been kind of influenced, and they have a reta- they have retained a lot of it. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting place. I'd love to go one day. I've only done Kerala in the south. Oh nice. 
And this was a long time ago, so I think most of it's washed away, actually, from the, the sea levels rising. Mm. But um, Goa has always been a, a spot I want to visit. What about the cocktails, man? Let's go into that. Like You told me some of the recipes about Tropic <laughs> City. I don't know if you want to share those as well, but um, what's the inspiration behind some of the drinks you make? I mean, so we did understand that we are doing Goa. Uh, Goa, again, is, so imagine like a Ibiza or an or a island town, right? So you can imagine the drinks that were there. They're usually made, made to be strong, make people happy. A mm-hmm. uh, few people doing off and on, but no real plan, right? They are just simple sheets of paper with them being there. That's mm-hmm. it. Okay. Like old school, old school style cocktails. But given the pedigree that Pankaj and me had, where we have been from, the kind of brands uh, we worked with. Pankaj was an ex-Monkey Shoulder ambassador, uh, has worked with people like Jay Gray, Joe Pesh and the rest and the kind of drinks that they were doing. I I had a little bit of the 28 pedigree and all the travel. So what we understood that is if you're coming to Goa, we can't go all complicated and all out, right? Like we would love to use the Rotovap, but it's just too expensive. Hmm. If I had to choose between a Rotobab and three staff members, I'd choose a three staff member yeah, uh, to make uh, make kind of service easier. But that's not shitting on a Rotobab. I still do want it. Mm-hmm. But we figured that for our first year at least, we need to we need to do, keep things simple, but work in a way that there are one or two items which always rock people's boat. Like they will be like, "Holy shit, hmm. this is this is interesting." Uh, I, I come from the old school, so for me, drinks like the old Cuban and, and Suffering Bastards are always very important. I call them the rounders or the fillers, right? Especially because in a market like that, like market like us, which is not evolved. So you have to keep everyone happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But on, on the side that we wanted to kind of test the crowd a little bit and take them to the edge, uh, I mean, we and the team just sat down and said, what are ingredients that people usually don't get in a cocktail here? And how do we use that stuff? That's how peanut butter came in. Now, as tasty as peanut butter is, it is that one ingredient that makes everything ugly. Okay. So yeah. so, so we went into this whole format and, okay, how do we do this? So there was a drink that, and, and we give it a lot of importance because I genuinely think it can be a contemporary classic. And that's why we take it to all our guest ships. It's not that we are repeating it, but that's the only way to make a drink stick. Mm. Uh, so during COVID, punk, this is a Pankaj drink, which was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich uh, converted into a cocktail. As basic as I can, I can explain it, right? So it's got a little bit of watermelon, strawberry jelly mixed with peanut butter and fresh watermelon juice and gin. And then we use coffee filters to clarify it. Mm, right? So, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's super tasty and it's, it looks like wine. I give him a lot of shit for it and how much he loves the drink, but... I stand corrected. That drink, everyone loves. And I know people who used to drive 40 minutes through barricades during COVID just to come and buy those bottles. Mm. Like full bottle of Midnight Brekkie. All you have to do is go home, put it on ice. So the moment we opened the bar, we're like, that drink has to be there. You know, that that mm. drink saved our lives uh, <laughs> during during that time. Because and you were doing bottle cocktails, right? We were doing, yeah. 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 We were doing bottle cocktails at that point of time. So mm-hmm. just you know, to earn whatever money we could besides Instagram chats. That was the only other source of income. Mm. So that's one of the drink that kind of stuck and everyone loves it. We we sell about 60 bottles worth every month. Mm-hmm. Right? Just midnight break. It's easy for everyone to sell. It's easy to make. And we'll be doing a Tropic City. We, mm. So we take it we take it everywhere with us. Uh, then there was a drink that we, that we worked with was in India, people don't like having martinis and gimlets that much. 
Mm-hmm. There's temperature, there's ice, the and these drinks are more about the quality of spirit that you use. Mm-hmm. Right? You can't just make them with everything. And then you have to teach people how to drink them. Right? You just can't lamb it onto them. So we figured out a drink called the Salset Salsa. Now Salset was the region that we were in. Uh we wanted people to drink start drinking tequila a lot more. We wanted to push take people away from the vodkas and gins and push a little bit more of agave and whiskey and uh you know do and these are things this is not new knowledge this is what bartenders have been doing any good cocktail bar they like to push that segment of spirits so uh again it's a technique driven one so it's mostly pink guava mixed with alapinos lacto fermented then we then we kind of arrest that with tequila overnight and next day clarify it and get people to try tequila in a martini style Mm, but it's still okay. spicy because Indians love that flavor. It's high flavor, mm-hmm. easy. You can give it out as a shot, and people go friggin' mental. But then, like I said, we do have our suffering bastards and old Cubans, and mm. and and we do a drink called Amazonia using Palo Cortado, which not a lot of people know. Right? <clears throat> I like Palo Cortado. This yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it? It's sort of a sherry in between Amontillado and Fina, right? It's like the middle one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a way. So, uh, actually, no, I screwed this up. I don't know why. I love my sherries as well. Mm. I meant the Palo Santo, the the wood, okay. right? That that they use for a lot of their uh, how do I say it for warding off evil. Mm-hmm. It's something that we got introduced to and we had to use it. So we make a drink called Amazonia out of it. But if we did get Palo Cardado, I'd fucking use the shit out of that stuff. It is it is <laughs> yeah. it is good. We need we need we need lots of sherry and port in India. That's not coming in. So anyone's listening, please send it over. We'll try to get it across to bars. Uh, then we have our own, like I said, the fillers make people happy. Then we go downright crazy and mental. So we have a drink called the Matrix because Matrix Four was coming out. Mm. Uh, so it's like a blue pill, red pill, served like a Chuck Norris, which I had for the first time in Lithuania, which was Red Bull with a shot of tequila and Jaeger. Right. So it was a mental drink. So when we opened the bar, we like, okay, cool. What do we do after eleven o'clock in the night? How do we get people riled up? So we had that drink, so which is like a blue margarita and a cinnamon whiskey with uh, rice beer. Mm. So you pick up one glass, the other one goes in. The reason you also do that is you need you need drinks that will get people excited and and make them pop, right? Mm. And and get the sales in. And usually we we sell nine or ten of them in a go. Okay. So which is brilliant. Then <laughs> then we had a. I know I'm prattling on, but but we do have a drink called the ugly olio. Ugly olio. Yeah. Okay. Because, <laughs> because the the joke the joke came from the fact that when we had an initial team when we were just starting off, uh, we had the agli olio as a food item on the menu, but it's it's sacrosanct. You can't fuck with that dish. Mm. You can't put veggies in it. You can't put spices in it. Make it the way it's supposed to be. And the moment you go a little bit off, somebody's gonna notice it. Mm-hmm. So we had a t- we had a team member who just could not make the agli olio properly. He was like, Shit, the guest asked for veggies, so I put veggies up there. Like, no, dude, do it. Then he screwed that up like a hundred times, and one of the bartenders was like, dude, what the fuck, we can just make it behind our bar. So when the new menu was coming up, so the guys actually developed uh, a drink called the Ali Olio, which replicates the last dregs of that Ali Olio oil that's in the bowl that you have with bread, mm-hmm. with a parmesan form, foam. was a cocktail, but then we figured if we make it into a shot, would be a lot more fun. Okay. So people just—it's garlicky, it's oily, it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's out there, but people for some reason love it, and and they travel a long way to finish their night with that drink. 
I know I I can't explain how that works. So yeah, that's mm. the kind of uh, so we have interesting and fun and nerdy stuff, but then we couple it with all of these crazy mm. little high energy poppy things just just to keep it light. So you don't think too hard when you're there. Mm. I mean, it sounds great, man. Really, like, you gotta come. It's, it's. I would love to one day, yeah, man. And um, I like the idea that you've got, like you said, these sort of fun, poppy uh, serves that you know you sometimes need that right in a bar when it's getting that point in time and night. You want to get everyone's energy back up, then you're yeah. serving them. Um, let's talk about Bangkok, man, because mm-hmm. you've just come back. Um, uh, yeah, after after three years. Three years, my three God, years. has it changed much? It's become better. Good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, Bang- Bangkok's always. Ba- I keep saying Bangkok dangers. Bangkok's been amazing, and I saw, I saw, I saw Bangkok grow. Mm. I used to come here as a Bacardi ambassador in 2012, 2013. Oh wow! Yeah, right? it's changed a lot since then. That was yeah. That was before you had a lot of cocktail bars. There was a few few touristy spots that you would go to, mm-hmm. but mostly it was stuff like Levels and mm. uh, and a few other places that will not be named. <laughs> that you that you that you that you went for drinks, uh, but I was doing this training. I had I had even come down with Perrier and did a, did a seven city tour mm. uh, for cocktails, and then Perrier competition came with Steve Schneider and Shingo Gokan, uh, Goi. I, I'm sure you know her. She was she was pretty big uh, in instrumental in getting all of these talent in, uh, and I I had the good fortune of being one of those talents. Mm. Right, but it was good. There were not a lot of cocktail bars that you would go to. Very few and far between. Uh, but when I ended up in Singapore and then started coming here, there was a whole new crop that started coming in. Right, I heard about this gentleman called Ronoporn. Mm. Right, used to be used to be an. I never met him. Right, so people were like, oh, he was an actor and he's he's a model and he has a bar and <laughs> he's a pretty he's, boy, but he knows how to make a cocktail. And yeah, and he he was winning cocktail competitions and mm. stuff. Uh, then, then you heard about Nat, who used to work in Tipling Club and other mm. places, and he had come back. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, popped this English-speaking, suave, friggin' Bronxy human being called Nick Anuman and full-on gangster and his places. So Bangkok completely changed for us, mm. right? Now, from having like maybe one place to go drink at, we had like eight, nine places, right? And all different styles of cocktails. Chacha, I had met Chacha in Puerto Rico. Mm. Right, and she was doing a Bacardi competition, an absolute superstar, and so so all of this I think kind of came together, and the whole spirit industry started developing. You had these small distributors who started coming in, boutique distributors, mm. getting great great alcohol in, and you would good you would get great cocktails. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I was to say other things that developed, think about Shalong Bay and Phuket, right? Their little distillery and what Tibor was doing. So Bangkok just blew up suddenly, right? It was, I th- and I think it it did very well to kind of find its own feet because of what was happening in Singapore, and then a bunch of them learned what was happening in Taiwan and Japan, and took all of that, and and just popped up. So it Bangkok went from being a touristy destination to a cocktail behemoth. Mm, so yes. it's and it's good to be back. Like I have not done all the bars I want to do. And it's just mental. It I could finish bars in one day back in the day. Yeah, I've been bad. here four days. I have I've not so many people we have not met, mm-hmm. uh, and also genuine happiness. These guys' hospitality here is is awesome. The bars are really really cool, and now you're getting the best hotel bars. Yeah, well, since you know four seasons have opened up and you've got oh. all these amazing places, it's it's really kicking off as a city. It's it's definitely the hub of sort of F and B I would say in Southeast Asia, but. 
Interesting, we were talking earlier about um, Asia 50 Best is here, mm-hmm. um, but it's quite nice to see that the uh, the Asia 50 Best Awards are now spreading across the continent. Yeah. I think there's still room for improvement. There's still some countries that are left out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Vietnam, that'll be quite yeah. exciting in the next couple of years, see what happens. But you're seeing now a lot more influence coming out of India. And yeah. I really, it's really good to see you know all these amazing bars popping up. And it's more... Um, the influence from people like you as well who have an impact on the industry and talking. So how's that for you? I mean, do you think it's India's getting enough of a shine light or spotlight? Or do you think it needs a bit more still? I would be amiss if I said that India's not getting sh- enough shine. Uh, because like I said, I'm old school. I still believe that you have to do the right things to get the shine. Mm. Right? Though we've been trying for the last 10 years now, Right? But when it's just one or two bars, it's not going to happen. It's got, the whole community got to has got to work together on on on, on making something viable, mm-hmm. right? You got you got to you got to do what's due so that you get your due. That's mm-hmm. that's the only way to look at it, right? So over the last five years, that industry's developed with what the guys over at Sidecar have done, right? They have been running bars for for a long time, but with Sidecar, they stepped up. Right, that's a bar that you can go drink at. Hoots, again, brilliant drink. Something uh, uh, that it's something that Pankaj Balachandran was part of, right? So it's a small fifteen cover outlet doing great friggin' drinks, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Lair and a bunch of uh, bunch of guys from outside who came in, right? There's, there have been enough expats who have come in and influenced what's been happening here. There was a point of time we had uh, uh, Death and Co that had come and done bars. A lot of guest shifts started happening. Four seasons started pushing. Uh, pushing the boundaries of what should be done in 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 hotel cocktail bars, right? How to make it a little bit more casual, not limited to uh, high end cocktails, right? How do you do events? How do you do guest shifts? So that's kind of got it popping as well. Mm-hmm. And with few more bars coming up, now we are able to build the ecosystem, which is the most important part. So when you talk about Vietnam, Cambodia. As much as I wanted to say that they should get their due, but first they got to build the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So people come there not just for a holiday, but come check out bars, mm-hmm. right? Make it make it more about that. Uh, we have only been able to do it over the ne- last three years. So hence the attention. Mm-hmm. And from here, now that more bar owners are going to see what's happening, more more of the money is going to see that, okay, cool, there is value. People are paying attention everyone's going to try and hit those blocks, right? It's it's uh, Asia 50, uh, World 50 does not happen automatically. It's not it's not something that pops out of the sky. Mm. There is strategy involved. There is there is a level of quality that you have to give. It's not it's not what should be your driving goal to do. But those are the boxes you got to tick. Good hospitality, drinks have to be great quality, food has to be above average, toilets have to be clean. Right? If you have air conditioning, it's got to friggin' work. <laughs> From the time that somebody calls you. Now, these are all things we learned in Singapore. Right? Food items. Hmm. Right? Bar food. Just the quality of bar food in Singapore is is mad. So, I mean, people will pay attention. So, all of these smaller cities will get that. Smaller smaller countries will also get more. Will pull more people in. And every... I mean, what's amazing with with Singapore is, right, all the local Asians have worked there. And they're all going back and they have realized, okay, cool, I can own shit. Malaysia, you will see Penang and Malaysia pop 
because a lot of the Singaporean Malaysian bartenders are going back and opening places there. I like Penang. It's cool yeah. place. Penang, yeah, and it's a great place. I mean, they do have their angusra shots and stuff, which is crazy. But yeah, and hospitality, food is just brilliant. Yeah. So, so I think Asia Fifty has now that it is noticed that there are things happening, so they are trying their best. Now it's up to the smaller countries like us to push the boundaries more and get more and more people to come in and visit and see what's going on. Uh, and I think we are all part, kind of part of it, right? Mm. So we're going to wrap up very soon. Been great to have you here, man. Thanks for joining. Cheers, really. cheers. And um, just a few more questions before you do go, because I know you got to get ready for tonight, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be lit. It will be lit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. But should we talk about Countertop? Because this is sort of another big project that you're involved in. And I know recently you've had other people sort of get involved with you, so that's probably going to grow quite rapidly, mm-hmm. I think. Tell us about Countertop. So, yeah, Countertop was a COVID pivot again. We used to have a company called Barback Collective back in the day. Uh, I mean, it had its complications, right? Like as bartenders, the first thing that you guys need to know is lawyer up, know your paperwork, it's uh, mm. and know your Excel sheets. It's far more friggin' important than what you're going to put in a glass with a centrifuge or mm-hmm. friggin' double shake. Get that stuff sorted. The moment you want to transition from working from other people to do your own stuff, uh, however, we learned our lessons, and during COVID, like I said, I asked my partner that dude, are you okay to come to Goa? And he moved lock, stock, and barrel. We started countertop off with like less than less than five hundred dollars, uh, and the whole idea was to improve the baseline, right? Mm. the The idea was not to open the best cocktail bar, but just if it's ice, it has to be particular. Now we, it's been fifteen years since Japan has been doing carved ice. We can't be using bad quality cube ice. So get Hoshizaki involved. Mm-hmm. How do you get those machines in? If it's a scoop, has to be the right scoop. If you're doing a bar design, right? So initially what was happening was everyone went to a kitchen company and they would make shitty bar counters and they were just too difficult to operate from. Yeah. And the design team would, to make the place aesthetic, would make the bar counter tall. So you're just reaching out, trying to make drinks, with your armpits out there for the world to see and you can't talk to guests. So we're like, okay, we got to get back and, and reformat all of this. So there's a company called Speedex that helped us do that. Mm-hmm. Made, making the bars the right size. Mm-hmm. I mean, following norms. Uh, stuff like Nutribullet, right? You don't need a Hamilton Beach, which is like super expensive. Work with the Nutribullet works just as fine. So how do you make things more efficient? So the whole idea was to try and improve baseline wherever we could, right? You cannot any longer be talking about old fashions and and Negronis. So that's, if you're a bar, that has to be sorted mm-hmm. so that you can start building up on that. So that's how Countertop started. Uh, we, we not only were developing bars, but we were working with ancillary societies. We also, me and Pankaj started working on bottled cocktails. So we have a, we have a brand called Mr. Jerry's, which became India's first alcoholic bottle cocktails available on shelf. Mm, cool. Right? Okay. So it was, and I was a guy, I used to hate bottle cocktails. I like, what's taking the bartender's job away? But the last two years taught us otherwise. Mm. That stuff, uh, people are acceptable to it. People are drinking in their house. So develop new things, help brands. So if you're a guy who wants to make his own gin, own rum, uh, so we become advisors to you. We'll sit with you in the room, say, okay, do this. The next should be like that. Maybe... Maybe don't develop rum with the Indian understanding, but see what's happening international, right? Low sugar, talk about talk about the quality of raw ingredients. So, mm-hmm. so the whole idea was to start building the ecosystem. Everything around the bar, 
so that we could have better bars for us to go for me and pankaj to go drink at so that's how counter top started we got super lucky because another thing that does not happen a lot uh, there's a company called third eye distillery who invested in us uh, in in order to help us set up lab and which is our own experimentation and incubation ground and mm-hmm. set up five six more bars so and and develop a content wing so we have always wanted to write a book never had the time so now we have helped to kind of kind of do that so what they're helping us is, is is that don't worry about the money you have an idea go friggin execute it so that's that's what we are looking to do in the coming coming 3 years and hopefully we'll have 3 4 more bars so when you come in it's just not 2 bars or 3 bars or 5 bars on the list we'll have like 10 bars to show you great so that's the basic nutshell plan it's been a pleasure to have you here man and once again so congratulations uh, for the award well deserved guys um for the listeners please if you look at the show notes you'll find all the social links for the bars and for RG Boast's own social media links um have a pleasure man and uh, enjoy tonight see you tonight for drinks thanks midnight breakies all the way <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the show guys uh, we are available on spotify itunes and all other major podcast providers your support helps my show grow and i love you for listening so thank you so much If you want to be a part of it even more, please look at the show notes. You can find links to our Facebook group, the Beverage Network. You can also find links to my Patreon page where you can help the show grow even further with small donations. And you can also find my email where you can reach me anytime with any questions. You guys are amazing. I love this industry. Let's keep it growing. Thank you for listening to On the Bad Bar. <laughs>